We interrupt this podcast with a message from our sponsor. Do you need some stamps or a mail order divorce? Come to Mailboxes Etc. where we are happy to help you with all of your mailing and notarizing needs. We offer on-site notary services. All you need to bring is your name, address, and a thumb. We can't guarantee that your divorce will be dignified or private, but it sure will be notarized. For something a little more fun, stop in today for our brand new breakfast food stamp series. And if Dancing Toast isn't your thing, we've got our classic cartoon series as well. You might also be wondering if we have some balls. And the answer is yes. Lucille Ball stamps, that is. If you're a fan of the 50s-slash-mid-60s sitcom heroines, you've come to the right place. We've got plenty of bewitched stamps, perfect for anyone who wanted to be Serena and practice the twitch. For listeners of Talking Fast, we have a special deal. Let Kirk know the podcast sent you, and you'll get a free pen with your purchase of stamps or your mail-order divorce, whichever service happens to bring you into the store. Welcome to another episode of Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Alexis. And we're two longtime fans of the show, excited to rewatch and recap it along the way. This week, we are recapping Gilmore Girls Season 4, Episode 19, titled After Boom. The Netflix bio for this episode is Lorelai confronts her father when she learns that he has cut business ties with Jason or. Just business, sorry. I'm just envisioning him, like, cutting off his ties. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I'm like, did I leave something out? But I think that was it. Okay. Lorelai confronts her father when she learns that he has cut business ties. Luke gives Lorelai an update on his love life. That we were all expecting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Our opening business. Let's get into it. We've got a review from the archive once more and um mama i don't know if it's how worth I, say this? I don't know if it's worth actually trying to pronounce that it's just a, a <laughs> bunch of letters <laughs> mama md 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 <laughs> on november 28th four stars this mama <laughs> writes I just stumbled upon this podcast in time for my yearly rewatch, and it's really good. I like the host's takes on things and find the conversations interesting. One small bone to pick, though, I am halfway through the first season, and I really hope at some point soon they stop mispronouncing Suki and Dosi's Market. I need to listen back and see how we were pronouncing them. I think we say, I, I've, I think I've said Suki. 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 And Suki. then Deuce, Dosies, Deuces, maybe? Yeah. It's, they're similar words. Yeah. Maybe it was the vowel. Yeah. That might yeah. just be our accents, honestly. I was just reading this <laughs> review made me think of True Blood. Mm-hmm. I don't and Yeah, another Suki. <laughs> yeah, and how Bill always says Suki. <laughs> Suki. And it's like <laughs> sultry southern <laughs> accent. <laughs> Yeah, would, I wonder if that would give us five stars yeah. if we said it that way. <laughs> but anyways, thanks for the review. Yeah, yeah, point taken for sure. Mm-hmm. It is important to get names right. Yeah, true. Hopefully hopefully we've got it right at this point. I don't know. I haven't consciously thought of either of those Now I'm going to think about it every time yeah. I say them. <laughs> Sometimes I second guess myself with 
Is it more like Michelle or Michelle, you know? Yeah. I say... It's how French you want to go with it. Yeah. (laughs) Podcasting's hard, you guys. (laughs) So many things to think about. (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) uh, leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts and we'll read them here. Um, You can also... uh, Uh, rate us on Spotify and you can respond to our questions for each episode. We've got a great response that we'll talk about. Actually, I guess we could talk about it now for our initial thoughts. Yeah. Um, This is from a listener who responded to our Myth of Spring Break episode and she said, I too am patiently awaiting that one episode with the kiss and the Dean and Rory, the whole blow up with an epic ending to a season and we get to see Kirk with no shirt. LOL. And yes, I am also looking forward to that. As much as like the Dean and Rory stuff is like, I hate it. It's also like you can't deny that it's good TV Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you have such a strong opinion about it. Totally. And that listener was named Lindsay. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that Dean's Lindsay or? (laughs) Suspicious. Justice for Lindsay, the listener and the character. Um, yeah, at this point, I'm not so patiently waiting, I would say. Yeah. I'm ready for the, the epic ending, like Lindsay said. Yeah. And Kirk with no shirt. I didn't remember that, so I can't wait. <laughs> we also had one other short response from a listener that just says, um, I love this episode and the rest of season four is so fun. So I think that's, mm-hmm. I think we're all agreed that, I don't know, the season four has been a great season, but like the last maybe six episodes or so are just stacked with drama. Yeah, it's interesting that I feel like pretty often when we check in at the start, we say like, oh, it was a fairly strong episode Mm -hmm. or we have things to talk about, things like that. But as a whole, like, I feel like no one ever says season four is their favorite, you know, or like it's not always memorable in the way that you might think, but I feel like the end of it is mm-hmm. but not always for good reasons necessarily yeah. <laughs> so just interesting but the end of it is like such a turning point for both rory and lorelei it yeah. completely changes the rest of the series really yeah <sighs> so it's fun to be there right now yeah. <laughs> what were your thoughts on this episode after boom i thought it was a strong episode mm-hmm. i i love when shows play around with the episode titles and make them have like a pattern so Mm -hmm. I love that last week was like tick 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 boom and then this is after boom after the boom of the previous episode I just love that I think it's incredibly clever yeah (laughs) and as a whole I thought it was just like a super tight episode and just so many storylines so many big moments going on that are they're just like threading the needle Mm -hmm. well and yeah, I'm a fan. How about you? I agree. It's like there's so much that happens and it's just the acting is superb. The script, I would say, is like, I think this is one of the tighter scripts and mm-hmm. storylines. We even get Lane, a fully independent yeah. Lane storyline, which is great. We love to see it. Yeah. yeah. And we see we see pretty much all of our characters this episode, including Suki. <laughs> and Michelle <laughs> Briefly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's always at least one of our car- uh, favorite characters missing but this episode has all of them mm-hmm. so should we get into it and do our talking fast 
I think it's your turn. Yeah, this week. we gotta cover what happened in the episode. Yeah, <laughs> quickly. <laughs> okay, let me pull up my timer. Okay, are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Ready. Set. <laughs> go. Jason has found out that Richard backstabbed him, and this upsets Lorelai, who confronts Richard. And then that also has a fallout for Richard and Emily, but then also a fallout for Lorelai and Jason when she finds out Jason wants to sue her family. Meanwhile, Rory is kind of dealing with Paris and Asher, and she thinks, like, it's affecting her life. Also, Lane is living out on her own and kind of regretting her old life. She's been replaced. Luke gets a divorce. That was really good. Let me think... (laughs) there's anything to add uh not really just like there's progress on the inn it seems close to opening Mm -hmm. Uh, and the band has a gig yeah and they seem to like we don't get a clear sight of it but they seem to be named hep alien at this point you kind of get a view of it on the poster or the flyer that kirk Mm. has but we haven't had any discussion of it i want to hear more about the name (laughs) Yeah, interesting. I've been waiting. (laughs) Yeah, me too. It's important. (laughs) Okay, well, let's slow down and get into this After Boom episode. And it opens with my Stars Hollow moment. I think this is one of my favorite cold opens in a while, Mm -hmm. actually. It just had such a fun rhythm to it, so... The premise is like Luke is finally getting his divorce and he runs into Lorelai on the street. They're both going into this like mailing center location and Lorelai is just like astounded that Luke is doing he's being so cavalier about getting his divorce in the mail like he's still got the papers from before and so she's being kind of like playfully serious and respectful about it like wanting to give him his space and he's like don't worry about it just come by your stamps you know and so he's like signing his papers with Kirk of course Kirk is the employee (laughs) at this place right that we've never been to before always a good bit and then Kirk and Lorelai start going off and like geeking out over these stamps breakfast foods dancing toes that got cartoons and then Kirk specifically says like the 50s slash 60s, <laughs> mid 60s um, sitcom heroines and Lorelai and him are like geeking out over the show Bewitched. There's also a line about having balls, Lucille <laughs> Ball, of course. And uh, it's hard to do the episode justice yeah. <laughs> by paraphrasing it because so much of it is like the dialogue and the like attitudes of the characters back and forth. But um yeah, I really loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I gave uh, his reference to Bewitched, my Rory's bookshelf, nice. mostly because there wasn't anything else in this episode <laughs> that I wanted to give it to you that I was, like, interested in. I uh, will talk about Kafka later, but I cannot be bothered <laughs> with. I just I haven't read Kafka since, like, high school. I need to re-look into that. But anyways, Bewitched is a show from like yeah the late 60s into the or the mid 60s into the early 70s i believe about a witch who marries a non witch non magical uh muggle <laughs> i guess a muggle. guy <laughs> and uh, there's of course like conflict between the witches and her 
I don't know, witch community and then living with a non-magical person. And I haven't seen, I might have seen like an episode or two of the original show, but I've seen the Nicole Kidman, uh, Will Ferrell movie, I think. It wasn't that great, to be honest, (laughs) but uh, yeah, it's kind of like a classic in those witch, like the line of witch TV shows, like you could add Sabrina the Teenage Witch to that, you could add uh, Charmed to that, like all of those is kind of one of the first I'd imagine. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm giving that my Rory's bookshelf also because I just loved how excited Kirk got about it. And it's interesting. (laughs) Kirk asked Lorelai out on a date last season, I think. And like, obviously, they Mm -hmm. don't have chemistry or anything together, but they have so much in common. (laughs) So many of their interests are the same. So it could have worked, maybe. I have. I thought they had fun chemistry in this scene. That's part of what (laughs) made it so... I don't know. Yeah. A delight to exactly. watch. <laughs> Fangirling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, our next scene, though, is I believe a couple days later, it seems, we're at Luke's and he's fixing the toaster. I was thinking this might be foreshadowing for Jess returning because when Jess had oh. come in the beginning and Rory, like, chastised him for being so mean to Luke he fixed the toaster as kind of like a olive branch (laughs) and so I'm like is the toaster being broken a sign the dress is coming back because we know he is or like it's a symbol that of his like of him being gone you know like (laughs) like maybe we don't hear about Luke missing Jess and like regretting how things went down but we do know the toaster is broken (laughs) Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's, good. That that's a good good detail to remember yeah uh but he also still has ink on his thumb which uh gets him and Lorelai talking about the divorce again but then Rory calls of course Lorelai is kicked out of Luke's as is his want and mm-hmm. <laughs> uh she's kind of call uh calling well first she's calling because Lorelai has her phone, so she's calling her own phone, and Lorelai picks up, and it's just like a funny bit about who's Lorelai and all that. Um, (laughs) Who is this? Lorelai Gilmore. No, this is Lorelai Gilmore. That made me chuckle. (laughs) And it also goes along with something at the Friday night dinner later on. Um, But Jason also calls at the same time, and so Lorelai is doing the funny thing where she has a phone on each ear. And is talking to both of them at the same time. And it's very confusing and comedic. Jason is preparing mm-hmm. to go to uh, practices golfing to try and fix all of the things that have gone wrong for him and the business stuff. Which he seems to think is mostly related to or being good at golfing will help him fix it. <laughs> An interesting <laughs> <Yeah>. idea. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I don't feel like I understand business. Yeah. <laughs> like golf is so I don't understand yeah it's just like I don't know the forums that people choose to do business in is really interesting Mm. when I lived in Iceland people go to um like hot tubs all the time they're like natural geothermal hot tubs all over the place and yeah people would have like business meetings there you know kind of similar to this (laughs) like if you need to have a business conversation but you don't want to do it in the office or whatever you want it to be a bit more relaxed uh you go sit in a hot pot (laughs) 
which is yeah. also funny because everybody's required to completely shower down naked before going in to be clean. So, wow, a lot of uh, different cultural ideas. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> As Americans, we're afraid of ever being naked. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, there is the whole like the steam room, like yeah, at the country club that's true, yeah. situation too, which I do think is like a um, a kind of an equivalent of sorts mm-hmm. as well. That's true. Yeah. Um, so Jason eventually hangs up. He's going to go work on his golfing and Lorelai is catching Rory up a bit with what happened after she had left the Friday night dinner the last week with Floyd and Carol. Um And we also find out that Rory has recently handed in a paper that she's not particularly proud of. She doesn't think she's done a good job, so she's bummed about that. And this will be basically her big storyline for the episode. (laughs) Which I like, you know, very school. And as someone who writes a lot of papers and reads a lot of papers, Mm -hmm. I wanted, I like paid attention to like why she said she didn't feel good about it and at first she said she didn't get the right hook yeah and I was kind of like a hook is just so like it's such an artificial component of the paper but then she connected it to feeling like her whole paper wasn't focused Mm -hmm. enough which I was like oh yeah I feel like that the writers got a good reason that a student wouldn't feel good about a paper because yeah. sometimes your paper is all over the place, especially when you're writing for like a class and a prompt, mm-hmm. you know, it can be hard to find your angle for sure. Yeah. It's just so much like attempting to fit into such a tight, restrictive prompt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it felt realistic coming from a college kid myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perpetual college kid. <laughs> Yeah, perpetually a college kid. And notably, it's a paper for Professor Fleming's class Mm -hmm. as well, we learn. So we got Asher Fleming in this episode. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll touch base about that a bit later on. But for now, we remain in Stars Hollow and head to Lane and Zach and Brian's apartment where Lane is attempting to have a band meeting with um, the whole gang, but... Zach and Brian are playing video games. And in general, this scene gives off the impression that Lane has sort of like fallen into or been made to Mm -hmm. fall into this role of like mother in the band and in her apartment, um, which is incredibly annoying to me as an observer. (laughs) Like um, she's trying to like corral them into joining the meeting. Um, They're kind of like, making her be in charge of the guest list for the Mm -hmm. gig. And they also, like, it was Zach's turn to go get food, but he didn't, so they have no food. So at the end, she's like, well, fine, I'll go get the food so we can all eat and maybe focus on the band meeting, which is what she wants to do in general. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just, it doesn't, it's not really fair, you know. It's not fair, and... um, But it is a good Lane storyline, I will say. Like, I do think it is good to explore, like, what's her life like now that she's in this apartment? What's going on with the band? How is she feeling? Like, how is she getting on in her life without her own mom? You know, now she's kind of being, like, a mom of sorts of these grown men. Mm -hmm. Like, um, yeah. 
yeah. yeah. How did you feel about the lane stuff here? I made this my Friday night dinner. There's plenty of stuff in this episode to make a Friday night yeah. dinner, but I wanted to call it out because um, a few episodes ago we talked about like weaponized incompetence and that kind of gender gender role stuff. We've had some requests mm-hmm. for uh, resources on that, and I'm still trying to find something that uh, is, I think, from a reputable source and also easy to access. But anyways, <laughs> um, and I thought that this was a great example of that because the boys are like just, and it's completely subconscious, I think. It's just that they have fallen so heavily into their gender roles with no no effort to like be conscious of it or interrogate it at all. Or think about how it's going to impact their living situation. That Lane is just kind of forced to pick up this mom role, which is also Lane falling into her gender role, and it's it's a hard situation to be in. And I've I've been in this situation as well, where it's like things have to get done. The men aren't yeah. doing them, so they <laughs> still have to get done. It's like yeah. Can you, are you just supposed to just not wash the dishes until one of the men decides to actually do it? Like, how long will that take, you know? Um, which is just, like, how patriarchy perpetuates itself, really, um, by women <laughs> doing that exact thing. Like, it has to get done. They're not doing it, so I have to do it. It's hard to have a solution for that, especially when the men are being like Zach and Brian, who are just, like... and. I mean, they're they're young, but also the habits that they get into now are the habits that they're going to have likely for the rest of their life. So just like not even being aware at all of her frustration, not giving it any sort of acknowledgement. And she is really frustrated in this. She's like, she's left her entire life to make this band thing work. And the boys are just playing video games through it and not putting mm-hmm. any effort in. So I was just really frustrated for her. And yeah, I'm just disappointed at Zach and especially Brian because Brian's the good one (laughs) and I feel like he's the one who does learn um and it's like they gave her a whole shelf we were really excited about that a few episodes ago yeah we're like oh they're so thoughtful and but you know there's a bit more they could do like when it's their turn to get groceries go and get groceries it's not Mm -hmm. that hard (laughs) that sounds good yeah (laughs) I do think like your point about it being um subconscious and kind of naturalized is accurate because like we see at the gig later Brian's mom brings him Mm -hmm. like carrot sticks you know so like your point about Brian being the good one yet he's still doing this it's like yeah because he doesn't have any other behavior you know like he's had a mom who still brings him carrot sticks like of course he's waiting for Lane to get groceries (laughs) and um that's just something that the three of them will develop hopefully you know ideally communicate about mm-hmm. <laughs> moving forward um and if things don't change and I was laying I would go grocery shop for myself only yeah. and Seriously. keep <laughs> my food in my room or something and be like you can go hungry yeah exactly that's what I would do as well have my room locked with my little stash of food <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh but speaking of food the last sort of component of this scene is that 
Gil has made a flyer for their gig that they have on Friday and he has worked it up on a flyer from his sandwich shop (laughs) and they're all kind of like salivating over the sandwich on the flyer because they're all so hungry and I gave the meatball explosion Mm -hmm. sandwich (laughs) on the flyer my got a taste test balls in this episode (laughs) yeah it's a ball heavy episode (laughs) um yeah, I just think a meatball explosion sandwich sounds yummy. Yeah, it does. Can't go wrong. Yeah, Meatball subs meatball are sub. delicious, but they're always so hard to eat. Like, they're so messy. Yeah, so I like that they kind of lean into it with the explosion yeah. component. Like, might as well not pretend that there's not a mess going yeah. on with the sandwich. <laughs> yeah, yep. very nice. We also, as Lane is running out to get groceries, we get her seeing something that is very disturbing to her. She looks across and sees <laughs> at Kim's Antiques, Mrs. Kim coming out of the door with a new young girl who appears to be acting like a daughter to Mrs. Kim. <laughs> Mrs. Kim like gets her all set up to go to school, gives her an apple, and Lane is just like, that's supposed to be me, kind of, even though <laughs> it's not what she wants. But, you know, sometimes the grass is greener. <laughs> on the other side yeah yeah we'll unpack more as it unfolds Mm -hmm. but it is a really interesting idea that lane seems to be almost mourning the life that she gave up you know and now that she's out of it it's easy to forget why she left in the first place and and all of that stuff i think it's a really good it's deep it's a deep storyline i like it yeah (laughs) even when you're doing what you want to be doing there are still challenges absolutely (laughs) we have a a very quick scene next i i it it is um jason at the driving range Mm -hmm. at the golf course and this made me think like did the show have a contract with this golf course (laughs) that they had to feature it a certain number of times that's a good point (laughs) (laughs) because this the scene is quite um it could be set anywhere mm-hmm. really although i mean we did just talk about business locale so it does sort of communicate the world they're in but with that said it's quite short jason is hitting balls more <laughs> balls <laughs> and he it's funny he's like i meant to do that when he hits one like he's still not good like at Poor golf guy. and he runs into a client who very quickly brushes him off. And this is Jason's first clue that something is amiss with him and Richard's business. Mm-hmm. Perhaps everything is not as he thought it was. And that will unfold more across the episode. But this is probably the last time we're at the golf course. Yeah. So enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it lasts. Um, after this, we get my stars hollow moment with the scene at the inn michelle is uh taking a group of travel writers around the inn and showing off all the things talking about like the historic nature of the inn and all that and it's mostly finished you see there's still some work going on but for the most part it Mm -hmm. looks like it's coming together pretty well i know it's like the set you know i was excited to see it (laughs) and then we also get a quick sookie scene where she is being carried out uh from the kitchen by two of her uh assistant chefs chefs sous chefs i don't really i can never figure out the hierarchy of chef 
chef titles. Yeah. Um, yeah. But she's being carried out because she's hurt herself yet again. And Suki is so excited about this. She's like, I'm back, baby. <laughs> and she's uh, like made cookies for these travel agents. She's been experimenting. She's so excited, even though she is injured, because it really is just like, this is back, Suki back in her wheelhouse. And also yeah. what comes along with that is being injured. So it's just like, you get one, you get the other. And I just loved these two, Michelle and Suki, finding, finally back in their elements, uh, mm-hmm. the incoming together. It was just very exciting. Yeah. I like that we see Michelle is like, as Lorelai says, no one is better at manufacturing yeah. quaint small town <laughs> moments than you. And he's like staged a deer outside and he's like oh our chef happens to have you know smell those cookies right and I love the like I just love that like um call out to like how manufactured the small town quaintness of all of this can be and it's quite it's quite good also um kind of some tourism commentary like how manufactured Michelle's attitude is also like you can really see in this scene why he's good at his job even though most of the time we see him as like a grumpy kind of rude guy uh even though we still love him but he obviously has like the customer service voice down and like the the customer service persona and he's really good at it and yeah he's a great character I don't He's, he's got some interesting spikiness in his hair this season I don't really like, but yeah. I don't know what's it going on It must have been that. of the moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the final part of this scene is Jason's arrival mm-hmm. shortly after Suki is sent off to the hospital or the doctor, and it's a follow-up from the previous scene. He is, um, well, I guess it's kind of hours later, and he has finally made a lot of calls and figured out confirmation that he has been betrayed that Richard has joined his father's business again and that he has been left with his business but that is essentially nothing at this point if there are no clients and he's definitely panicking as I think I would as well Mm -hmm. and Lorelai is trying to like process all of this and part of his panic is that He's going to end up in Houston. (laughs) Like, I liked this reference as, like, a way to kind of... It's his way of, like, imagining what is the worst possible outcome of all Mm -hmm. of this. It's, like, washed-up businessmen apparently end up in Houston. And I like that as just, like, a place that they reference because I have um, been re-watching Mad Men a little bit. Mm -hmm. I... I shouldn't I shouldn't start a new show because I'm still trying to finish Lost, but um I got the bug. I got the itch to rewatch it and it I bring this up because it just reminds me of the fact that in Mad Men it's like only New York yeah. and then LA occasionally exists and like nothing in between. And I was like thinking in the world of Gilmore Girls, it's like Connecticut, sometimes New York, very briefly California that one mm-hmm. time. <laughs> those places exist so like houston is just like off the map of the show <laughs> like if jason goes to houston he doesn't exist anymore yeah. <laughs> yeah that middle america even though it's that's not midwest so but it's still like yeah in between yeah. new york and california yeah poor jason yeah but he is he's have we gotten when we 
Have we gotten a scene before when Jason shows up at the inn? I feel like we did, but I can't mm-hmm. remember the exact circumstance of it. It might have been like when they were first starting to date. Yeah, he came to like look around. Yeah. And he had like a nice coat on, I remember. Yeah, yeah I remember that as well. So this is kind of reminiscent of that as kind of a deja vu moment. Um, mm-hmm. Lorelai is kind of in denial at what has happened. Like she can't believe her dad would have done that to him. And that it's really as bad as he's saying. Um, mm-hmm. Which kind of shows like she's going to have, she has a big conundrum in this episode. She really has to decide kind of pick a side which is really unfair um yeah. and it's yeah it's gonna be a hard episode for her and jason yeah clearly totally. at this point is assuming that she'll take his side i think he's mm-hmm. like it just hasn't come to hit like he just hasn't thought of the fact that she might have some loyalty to her family because clearly he and his family have no loyalty between <laughs> them at all yeah. <laughs> i and like I think this is such like a a difficult thing to wrap your head around. Like it truly is a surprise. It's truly quite a big betrayal. And for Lorelai, like I don't think like she could ever fathom like going back to the business that wronged Richard in the first place, you know, like for her, it's like, I don't know. She's like, I have problems with my parents. And when she like leaves them, I don't know. I don't quite, maybe that parallel doesn't work. But, like, I think for her, she, in her mind, it would be, like, how could he ever go back to them, you know? She holds a grudge. She keeps the grudges, yeah. Yeah. She wouldn't, like, forgive and forget. Yeah, I also feel like Richard has a kind of depersonalized sense of his business that Lorelai does not have. Right, she's, like, in... She works with her yeah, best friend, exactly. you know, like she wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. Richard is able to kind of separate himself and like the pain that he felt when he was ousted from the next business deal. It's all, all always about the next business deal. And it's yeah, it's not personal, which is as Jason is making clear here, it's very personal. It's ruining his life. Um, mm-hmm. But also Richard and Emily's life could have been ruined by Floyd's uh, suing suit lawsuit. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. that was yeah. in the last episode so I don't know it's it, yeah it's a hard hard thing it's a tough one but for now speaking of tough things <laughs> we are at Yale the bookstore it seems and Professor Fleming is giving a reading from his new novel what is tough about this is obviously that the bit of this is all of these young women in the audience are obsessed with him and very into him and it's a bit perplexing to me but um before we get into that more I want to give my Rory's Bookshelf nomination to this novel that (laughs) Professor Fleming has written Asher Fleming it is called Jag Lawn um which is a word and I think I like I like it because They've made this prop like comically large. Mm-hmm. Like this novel is so big and they're all like just holding it. There's stacks of it. Like it's a good scene prop. Like you really, your eyes drawn to it. Um, and no novel would actually be that big, <laughs> I don't think. Um, but like when we open the scene, he's reading and we don't really get a whole lot of context of what the novel is about. But the bit that he's reading about, the narrator seems to be like describing 
another character who is getting older and has signs of aging and the narrator is wondering if those signs are like a sign of wisdom from within that character or if they're just kind of like artificial superficial just this person is just getting older and I thought that was pretty like I thought that was a nice compliment to the actual scene because it's like Asher's the one of all of them who has signs of aging yeah. like he's older <laughs> and is his old age a sign of wisdom or not you know it's pretty like it's pretty fun um as far as the title of the novel goes I only did a brief search into this because I mostly wanted to nominate the show's creation of a novel Mm -hmm. you know that doesn't exist like that's a fun task for them to do but the the title the name did of course catch my eye and this is a story I believe written by L. Frank Baum you know of Wizard of Oz fame and the story is about a a tiger (laughs) who is orphaned and then there's tiger fairies i guess and they raise him um i I was just looking at that as well that doesn't really make sense to me (laughs) it must be like a fable kind of thing yeah it sounds like the lion i mean not the lion king it sounds like the jungle book a little bit except that he's not a boy it's a tiger but raised by fairies so let me extrapolate from this that the the novel's probably about like a young guy yeah and there's another older guy who's probably they're probably like have a relationship of some Mm -hmm. kind they're coming of age (laughs) yeah yeah and there's not literal fairies but um I have to maybe metaphysical. Yeah. No, I, don't know. <laughs> I have to say, Asher Fleming sounds seems like one of those authors who writes a coming of age story that's basically like a self insert story because mm-hmm. they really think they've had a unique childhood, a unique adulthood, um, but really it's just a story, just like any other story about a white man growing up having maybe a few a few difficulties in college or something <laughs> having <laughs> some way too much time to introspect and think about the meaning of their own life uh, while never thinking about the meaning of other people's lives that just Ooh. seems like an Asher Fleming type of thing <laughs> yeah yeah would that I could read it yeah. to tell I, I probably wouldn't I'm, I'm a genre fiction person you know can't be bothered with literary fiction. <laughs> I can be bothered with literary fiction, but not often. Probably not Jaglon here. Yeah. I'm more. Yeah. But it's kind of giving um, Jonathan Franzen mm-hmm. vibes, I would yeah. say. Yeah. That makes sense. Anyway. <laughs> who's Jonathan Franzen's novels are also comically large, actually. So um, anywho, <laughs> as I mentioned when I began talking about this scene, it's tough and there's all of these like girls who are drawn to Asher and they're kind of, it's a fun, I think this is a fun parallel between, um, you know, it's like the professor author and his groupies and then later on we'll have the band mm-hmm. and the musician groupies. I like yeah, that sort true. of parallel. And here we have Paris observing it all as well. And seeing how they kind of flack to him. And she seems, 
fairly confident in her relationship with him. She's mostly like looking down on the other women for thinking they have a chance. And she believes that he has (laughs) dedicated the novel to her under the description of wise, willful, wonderful woman. Likes his alliteration. I love an alliteration. (laughs) (laughs) I do like question like being called willful. Like you have a strong will. Like that's a, is that a compliment? Is that like a (laughs) a backhanded compliment? I don't know. It does seem to potentially pertain to Paris. But as Rory says, this could also really pertain to basically any, anyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the the last thing to point out is that uh, Rory does run into Doyle Mm -hmm. here. And this is when we learn some pertinent information that we have to this point suspected or just assumed to be the case. (laughs) And, And with our memories as well, like we've watched the show before. But this is when we learn that According to Doyle, Asher Fleming has a rotation Mm -hmm. going. So each year, a new student, a new girl, always young. And this is what we call gross. Yeah, very Um, gross. We don't like that. Really gross. Grooming. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to point out Paris's ignorance about the publishing schedule. Uh, Usually Mm. when you finish a book... And it's going to be traditionally published. It'll come out maybe a year or so later. So most likely Asher wrote this dedication nine months to a year ago before they were dating. Um, but anyways, <laughs> yeah. Just to well, do gross... you think that's something that could be like tacked on at the end? Yeah, that's probably true. Like if anything maybe. could be added at the end of the publishing cycle, that would be something. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It just seems... Paris is trying to justify her relationship, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And Doyle, I thought in this scene, was just hilarious because he's so bitter about everything, <laughs> but he's also, like, dropping the tea, and mm-hmm. Asher's just so gross. Ugh. Yeah, and there's some dramatic irony when they're discussing, like, he doesn't know who the current yeah. girl is. Like, he describes her as a mystery, and... We, the audience, and Rory know that it's Paris, and it has another added fun layer to the fact that later on, Doyle yeah. and Paris will be together, and here he is kind of, like, maligning her without realizing it, you know, because she is the one who is the current girl of Fleming and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. What a gross dude. <clears throat> I could see, like, a world where people think he's a silver fox or something, but he's just so smarmy. It's just like, yeah. he just he's just so gross to me. <laughs> yeah, you do have to like, uh, I get, I can take myself out of my own shoes and imagine that some people do mm-hmm. like feel that silver fox thing. And he's like, sometimes people are drawn to the, you know, the glamour of yeah. power rockstar and like thing. Um, rock star, the author, you know, the, yeah. yeah. So I can kind of see the draw. But I mostly just see the the um the manipulation and mm-hmm. the <laughs> exploitation. Yeah, like the draw is one thing, but him taking advantage mm-hmm. of it is a totally different thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody has had a crush on a movie star or something, or like a, somebody of their favorite band or whatever. But if that person then like went out and <clears throat> used their appeal to just exploit people, that's the really gross part of it, you know. And he's older. He should be wiser. But (laughs) anyways... 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Um, um, our next scene is at the Gilmore's and I give Lorelai here my Lorelai's closet. Um, she shows up to confront Richard and she's wearing something that I thought was kind of different from her usual workwear, which is usually like Lorelai's almost always in things that are super fitted, kind of like skin tight almost. And here she's wearing a gray suit with a blaze like pants and a blazer and an untucked mint green uh blouse and she like usually you would expect Lorelai I think to have that tucked in or to be something tighter but I just liked it she looked super chic and much more comfortable than in some of her other outfits which just look hard to sit in um but I really liked also the color combination was different for her and I yeah I liked it um nice but she shows up here to confront Richard and she is asking Richard like why he needs to do this, why he has to take it so far and completely ruin Jason's reputation. Richard's defense is that he is defending his livelihood um, because of the threat from Floyd last week. Could have like he we found out that Richard had put his pension up as collateral and that could have potentially ruined his and Emily's whole lifestyle and also he like he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to work anymore um so that's what he sees himself as doing Lorelai asks him to show some sort of mercy and Richard's retort to that is that he she doesn't care anything about the family she just cares about her boyfriend and um we have a I think a listener uh response that I wanted to bring up here let's see um this is from a listener who responded on instagram they say i felt like lorelei was immature when her dad cut ties with jason ultimately she takes the dad's side when jason sues but it was immature for someone her age and experience and i don't know what do you think about this i feel like it's just such a hard it's such mm-hmm. a hard situation and like lorelei i don't know maybe there's a gravity to it that she just doesn't 
accept, like she doesn't accept that people could do this to somebody else just for their Mm -hmm. job, which I kind of agree with, but also like she's (laughs) just, she's not part of the cutthroat insurance world. (laughs) I don't know. I see we also have another listener response kind of in the, the same vein where they write, Lorelai acting like her relationship of five months meant more than her dad's mm-hmm. life work is actually a joke in the worst way. Laughing, crying, emoji. Um, so it seems like, at least from what we've heard so far, like some of our, I think our listeners are kind of taking Richard's side yeah. in this or at least um, kind of agreeing with the fact that it's like, you should like value family over a boyfriend especially one that is fairly recent although like they are kind of at the the key phase you know which (laughs) does indicate a level of seriousness (laughs) um but I feel um I don't know that I disagree so Mm -hmm. much but I also like I think I just I feel I feel like I'm coming at it differently I I don't feel like um that I don't necessarily feel that Lorelai is confronting Richard and like taking Jason's side really mm-hmm. strongly, which I mean, she is definitely. But I think you mentioned like, I think she's rubbing up against the like idea of like, this is what I have to do. Yeah. Um, which is what she rubs up against when she's talking to Jason later. Like with Richard and Jason both, I feel like she's critiquing this sense of like, using business as an excuse to behave badly against someone else you know like I actually feel like Lorelai is kind of principled maybe without necessarily being super conscious about it but it I feel like she is kind of reacting to the how could you do this to someone how could you do this to like your business partner how could you do this to me and my family when it's Jason later on like I feel like she's just observing like this is wrong like on a moral standpoint or ethical standpoint like you don't betray people like this and she's like they're acting just like Jason's dad now by like stooping to this level and I feel like she thinks there are different methods in different ways like there's not just one way you don't have to do something that's an excuse you know and I feel like Emily will react in the same way as we'll see. Like, I feel like Lorelai and Emily are on similar pages. And I feel like the the fact that Jason as a boyfriend, as like this relationship, almost feels like it distracts a little bit from some of Mm -hmm. this. I don't know. Um, But I did give my Friday night dinner to the what I have to do mentality Mm -hmm. that Richard and then Jason later on will kind of... Like, Jason will, like, literally use the same phrase. Like, it's kind of the phrase of the episode. And they're just, like, justifying their actions when there are many different... You don't have to do something. Um, yeah. Yeah. I have... Yeah. I don't know. What are you... What do you think? I fully agree. I think you articulated it really well. I was, like, trying to figure out why <clears throat> why I didn't feel necessarily that Lorelai was taking Jason's side. And I think you said it well. That she's just like she's more just questioning the whole attitude of everything that's happening mm-hmm. and as you were talking I was also just remembering a show I've mentioned often the Gilded Age um, mm-hmm. which is like new money versus old money but one of the main characters is new money like a railroad robber baron character mm-hmm. and yeah. so he's like constantly 
making decisions that ruin other people's lives to get ahead. But there's also one scene where he's facing ruin and his wife um, tells him like, well, we've built it from the ground up before. We'll do it again. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that's the that sentiment would be helpful in this situation. And if I don't think Richard would be I don't think he would accept it if Emily said something like that. But like the fact that just because I don't know, this iteration of your career is being ruined and potentially a lot of money is being lost. It's not the end of the world. Um, But I don't know. It just it also kind of smacks of privilege to me and like uh inherited wealth like you just can't you can't imagine not having what you have so you'll do anything to keep it and it's just mm. yeah it's just such an interesting frame of mind to be in and I agree that Lorelai has already like her whole storyline is she's got herself out of that way of thinking like she will mm. build herself up from the ground up if she needs to um so she just doesn't understand how Richard and Jason could not understand what they're doing and why it's so yeah. unnecessary. Yeah. And yeah, I like that Emily comes in and puts her foot down in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you were talking, it it also made me think about like how Richard and well, ma- mostly Richard in this point is like viewing and treating people as if they're disposable, mm-hmm. you know, like, he used Jason when he was convenient, and now that he's no longer convenient, he's disposing yeah. of him for his own use, you know? Whereas Lorelai, with her many faults, like, does not treat people like that at all. Like, she would never do that to Suki or Michelle, mm-hmm. like, the people that she works with. She has a very different relationship with them, and I think she's kind of running up against that as well. Um, yeah. And... Yeah, when Emily eavesdrops and then she hears what's going on and then she kind of um, confronts Richard at the end, she also, like, she ha- she's coming from her own, like, firm standpoint of, like, um, dispose of anyone, use anyone, but don't, like, affect Lorelai and Rory. Mm-hmm. Like, we've done so much to keep them in our lives and she's not willing to, like, burn it all down and start over again (laughs) she was like this was hard enough to get Lorelai here and by extension Rory like that is her it's it's funny because both her and Richard are like we have to do what we have to do for our family you know but it's different for both of them what that means yeah Richard just sees Emily he does like I don't know if maybe I don't know we could argue that Richard doesn't care that much about Lorelai Although there are some instances mm. where he really does, but he does care about Rory. And I feel like he kind of thinks yeah. that his and Rory's relationship is like untouchable. Like no matter what, she could be disappointed in him, but no matter what, there's still going to be a relationship. So I don't know if that even crosses his mind as a threat. And when yeah. Emily brings it up, he's like, it. he doesn't think it would happen. <laughs> like Rory would still come. I don't know. Yeah, it's a hard situation drama yeah (laughs) Uh, after this scene we move on to slightly more lighthearted drama although no (laughs) yeah drama nonetheless (laughs) with lane um and rory are on the phone and lane is uh talking about her replacement which is what she is deemed 
the girl who we mm-hmm. like we haven't learned her name yet we know it later but um right now yeah. she's just the replacement <laughs> the new <Yeah>. daughter <laughs> and Rory is trying to talk her down I thought she was being pretty reasonable at this point like you ju- you you left you know uh also there's no way that Mrs. Kim actually has a new daughter um but <laughs> this conversation ends and Rory goes to pick up her paper in a way that would not be allowed these <laughs> days for uh FERPA violation <laughs> with all the papers but this was done when I was in college like all the papers mm. are in kind of a mailbox type of set up and you just go through and find your paper and your grade is right on the very front and some of the guys around her one of them gets like a b uh was it a b minus or just a b yeah and yeah and they were like it was a b for asher that's basically an a and then rory picks up her paper and it is an a and she's Mm. immediately suspicious yeah very main character energy (laughs) this has to have something to do with her personally, not just her writing skill, uh, which I think we can argue about with Asher's response. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny because if she reacts like, oh, I got an A and I deserve it, then it's like, it's the, oh, Rory Mm -hmm. is like better than everyone thing. Or if she gets an A and she thinks she doesn't deserve it, then it's like the main character, my friend's relationship is affecting me kind of thing. But um I I didn't I thought Rory I was with Rory on this like if you hear he's a hard Mm -hmm. grader and you didn't feel good about your paper and then you get an A and this whole time you've been like worried about your friend's relationship you think the professor's weird like all of that stuff like I would feel the same way like this A like I would feel like something was wrong he also there's no sight of any sort of written feedback (laughs) anywhere Mm -hmm. and if he like had written a short paragraph at the end telling her why she'd gotten that grade I think it would have been different but the fact that he just he doesn't seem to follow a rubric so it really does seem (laughs) just kind of like yeah exactly uh yeah Yeah. very sketchy (laughs) yeah and we'll find out more about that shortly uh but beforehand we've got a couple scenes the next one is still at Yale and Rory's storm and it's a quick little kind of like moving the plot around situation where Lorelai has come to return Rory's phone that we mentioned at the start of the episode and the the meat of the scene is really Rory persuading Lorelai to still go to Friday night dinner even though Lorelai had been planning not to because of the whole Richard situation. Uh, But Rory, like, communicates the importance of it as, like, the way that they see each other Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. So by the end of the scene, we get the confirmation both of them will be going to Friday Night Dinner. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Then we get a scene at Luke's where Lane is working and she is... It's kind of a harried scene, like everybody is in a rush (laughs) and Luke wants her to put off her break and she initially agrees to that, but then she sees the replacement walking through the town square and rushes out to confront her and she just kind of yells at the girl like uh, about her stealing her life. It's even her favorite scarf. She's got her apple, all of that stuff and the replacement is very very confused 
she doesn't have any idea who Lane is at first. And then we find out, like, obviously she knows that Mrs. Kim has a daughter. Um, but she's an exchange student from Seoul. And uh, Lane is just kind of going off on her for stealing her life. And they yell at each other in a cool bilingual mm-hmm. Korean versus mm-hmm. uh, English fight, which I always love when that happens. We don't really hear Lane ever speaking Korean because, of course, the actress is Japanese. I don't even know whether she, like, what generation uh, Japanese-American she is, but I'm assuming she doesn't know Korean, but she might. I don't know. Um, But Mm -hmm. it's it's always fun to see, like, yeah, any sort of bilingual conversation. Yeah. Especially as, as somebody who attempts to be bilingual but has so far failed <laughs> i also like the lines um when it is so in english and they're talking mm-hmm. and she says like like well she, like the new the replacement the new daughter however we should call her it feels weird to like not call use her name or anything <laughs> but um she has some fun lines when Lane is confronting her where she's like, well, I hope we're not related. And she's also like, why are you so angry? I thought there's just some good comedic yeah. delivery of some lines where she's just like, what is going, <laughs> what is this girl's deal? <laughs> yeah. We don't really get any closure in this. Lane just gets things off her chest and it is a funny scene. Uh, we'll get yeah. more about it later though. Our next scene is back at Yale where... Asher is assigning Kafka's The Trial. This is why I mentioned Kafka earlier. I just like, I read Metamorphosis, but I don't remember that much of it. So I just, I don't know. I need to go back and read it. Um, But I've never read The Trial. But anyways, an interesting assignment for his class, uh, which I (laughs) don't remember exactly. It was something about Russian political literature, maybe. It was contemporary political oh, okay. fiction. That makes more sense. So <laughs> I don't know why yeah. I thought Russian. Um, well, they mention Russian writers. Yeah, that's often. true. Yeah. Um, and then as the class files out, Rory goes up and confronts him about her grade. She's like, I'm not sure why I got this A. Asher is very surprised mm-hmm. uh, in kind of an interesting way he says that he's gotten grade complaints from people with c's or d's etc but never from somebody with an a which has not been my experience i get often <laughs> students who get a's asking why they didn't get an a plus and what they can do to get an a plus uh different oh, those, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but rory says that <clears throat> she she kind of beats around the bush saying that she wants to make sure that she really earned it and then she says mm-hmm. that she wants to make sure it's not because of how many wise, willful, wonderful women she knows. <laughs> and Asher's face just like goes cold <laughs> and mm-hmm. he he's angry and he like tells her why he had actually given her the grade that she'd made a really good argument and drew some comparisons mm-hmm. that supposedly PhD candidates would envy. Uh, yeah. I'm curious. <laughs> Um, and Rory in a very, I thought inappropriate, like she's already dug herself a deep hole at this point on her way out. She turns around and she says, and the redhead, redhead has fat thighs, which a is just like ridiculous fat shaming and just terrible, like a terrible comeback. Also, it's (laughs) 
crossing a boundary between a professor who she already just crossed a boundary with and it's just like faux pas after faux pas I just Mm -hmm. this scene was so cringy (laughs) I agree that it was cringy and I think her comeback at the end was a bad comeback and then also crossing that line but I do feel largely on Rory's side before the the comeback at the end there because I feel like she's responding to this fear that she's being affected by the way that he's Mm -hmm. crossing all of these lines with Paris and that it's gonna like affect her and it's making her doubt her own work to the point where it's like I don't know if it matters if she actually did earn the A or if she got the A because he knows he's with Paris because it's like grading can be so subjective Mm -hmm. like he could be just colored his evaluation is not objective you know like he could just be like knowing oh this is Rory's paper and think like what a wonderful argument and like not even himself realize like he's giving favor to her over other people like it's just for me like another reason why the Paris and Asher relationship even though they are not student professor it's still affects mm-hmm. Rory who's student professor with him you know yeah he also is friends with Richard so it's like an additional yeah, layer yeah. I don't know I'm not always yeah. a an advocate of rubrics for grading essentially creative works like writing but in this instance like when the writing is supposed to be an argumentative essay of some sort I feel like there needs to be some agreed upon grading rubric or criteria to point to to say this is why you got the grade you did uh yeah or you could like um not look at the names yeah. you know that's another way to do it yeah. too but yeah yeah I also feel though that like this is very in line with professors of this generation that I've come across in my own mm-hmm. <laughs> academic career mm-hmm. so not that surprising to be completely willy-nilly with the grades <laughs> yeah yeah totally okay Moving ahead, we are at the aforementioned Friday night dinner, and it's got a weird vibe right from the start, Mm -hmm. but maybe not in the way that Rory and Lorelai were expecting, because they're thinking it's probably going to be tense, you know, there's been conflict, like, who knows what's going to happen, but what really ends up happening is that Emily and Richard are just behaving really weirdly, Mm -hmm. and, like, at first I almost thought they, like, thought thought they weren't coming over at all like they saw they seemed caught off guard like they weren't planning to have dinner um by the end I feel like we're supposed to think they were planning they just weren't they didn't know how to plan effectively or be ready they kept saying they came early so I think they thought maybe they'd have more time to make it seem like everything is business as usual but what is really happening is like Richard's trying to make the drinks and like dropping ice weirdly like Emily arrives late and she's like holding on her purse like trying to she's trying to pretend she didn't just come from somewhere she's trying to pretend she has been there you know and it's all a little discombobulated like they take their drinks with them to the table how unusual Mm -hmm. then the like dinner seems to go quickly silently there's no dessert like they're basically like ushering them out of the house they get like goodie bags of chocolate on their way out (laughs) and it's all quite bizarre and like so we're kind of like building the suspense this wonder of like what's going on and the final result is that 
Lorelai and Rory kind of hide in the bushes <laughs> when Emily comes out and they see her go to her car, which has been unusually parked in the driveway. And she's got dry cleaning with her. And then she leaves. And Lorelai, in this very, like, dramatic line, asks, is my mom not staying here tonight? Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. So it was such a, I don't know, funny, but also kind of heartbreaking mm-hmm. scene. Yeah. And the Richard and Emily stuff has been building up and building up. And obviously, this was the last right. straw. So it kind of makes sense. But to have it happen in also such like a quiet way is an, a really interesting yeah. choice uh, from the mm-hmm. writing perspective. I kind of like it. It subverts expectations. Yeah, because we're kind of with Lorelai as yeah. well as the audience. Like We don't know what has happened. And we've been thinking this might happen and now suddenly it has mm-hmm. happened already, you know. Um, so it's kind of understated with it, but it has a big effect in that yeah. way, definitely. I was a bit confused about the parking, the uh, driveway situation. Mm-hmm. Like, where was Lorelai mm-hmm. and Rory's cars? Uh, yeah, why did Emily not notice that they were still there? Uh, but I think that was just a, a little plot hole I have to suspend my disbelief for. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I did give my Lorelai's Closet nomination to Emily's dry Ah, cleaning. Nice. (laughs) Symbolic. (laughs) Yeah, it's a symbolic choice. No outfits really stood out to me in my memory. So I thought, you know, that is her dry cleaning. It's all of these outfits. And it's that's like a big clue to Lorelai of like, well, where is she going with dry cleaning right now? So it's like important. It has an important place in them putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Okay, from here we go to the band gig. Do you want to take this one away? Sure. <laughs> they are rocking it. They're, they are doing really mm-hmm. well. They all seem to be meshing well together. This is like the first time we've really seen them kind of on stage with Gil there as well, I think. I mean, we've seen them practicing and doing little things like that, but this is their first big gig with him, and they were great. I've said it before. Mm-hmm. I like Zach's vocals. I know they're not everybody's taste, but <laughs> I like them. Um, but then as soon as they finish their last song, everybody kind of disperses. Uh, mm-hmm. Brian's whole family is there <laughs> along with his cousin <laughs> who is dressed as Zorro, uh, yeah. which reminded me of the Hillary Duff Cinderella story. Her best friend likes to dress up as characters, and at one point he is dressed up as Zorro. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah um that's a good but point. yeah he goes over there and his mom it like has snacks for him and everything gil goes and starts making out very roughly with his wife against the wall <laughs> good for yeah. them yeah they got a babysitter <laughs> they're gonna make the most seriously of it. and for a few minutes zach and lane are talking kind of mm-hmm. laughing about gil and his wife and stuff and uh, Lane is really pumped. She's really talking about like how they need to celebrate and all of that. And then two girls come up and start flirting with Zach, and he walks away with them in like typical rock star fashion. Mm-hmm. And Lane is left there. She looks so despondent. It's so sad. She's looking around. She kind of like circles the room, contemplating whether to join one of the groups or not. And then eventually goes and sits behind her drums and just sits there watching it's so sad yeah 
When nobody was there yeah. for Wayne. Because Rory wasn't even there. I feel like Rory could have made it. That dinner was very rushed. <laughs> she could have been there. I agree. Um, but yeah. yeah, nobody was there for her. And she'd already been feeling like she was missing her mom and everything. And it's not like, I don't think Mrs. Yeah. Kim would have come to the show, but <laughs> no, just like it just compounded for her. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was sad. It yeah. really was. Poor Lane. And I earlier I had been, when earlier when Zach mentioned he had these girls phone numbers and he wanted to invite them. I was kind of wondering, like, where does Zach pick up chicks? Yeah. Like, <laughs> What kind of hot bar or club does he go to in town? I also wonder, like, is he supposed to be older or the same age as Lane? Because yeah. how is he getting these drinks, first of all? And I just was kind of wondering about the logistics <laughs> of it, you know? But they're really leaning into this, like, he's a rocker mm-hmm. kind of vibe, like, living up the life. Um in a way that I'm like, would he actually like? I don't know if they were giving like sex god vibes to Zach yeah. before now, you know? <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like he is fairly attractive, I guess, but and he is the lead mm-hmm. singer, which is usually like the kind yeah. of yeah has a draw. Yeah. He's like the Asher, yeah. you know? Like he, there's that draw yeah. to him, you know? <laughs> it's yeah, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, but after. And does this feel like they're laying the groundwork for Zach and Lane a yeah, little bit? Yeah, I was thinking so. Because, like, they're talking to each other, but I don't feel like yet, I don't feel like she's yet, like, jealous mm-hmm. of Zach and the other girls. I think she's more so, like, lonely and, like, oh, there goes yeah. my friend, you know, that I was talking to. Whereas later, I do remember they, like, write in a whole, like, she's jealous yeah. kind of moment. Yeah, I thought them having their little, <clears throat> like, one-on-one conversation was building up to their relationship. Because mm-hmm. it, we've never really seen them talk alone together before. So then yeah. having that connection. But yeah, I didn't necessarily feel that jealousy yet either. Uh, Where are Lane's groupies? I know, seriously. You know? Yeah. Why is it anyone else just coming up to her and being like, wow, yeah. you're in the band. <laughs> like, you're such a good drummer. Also, it's like, mm-hmm. it's still rare to see women drummers. I would yeah, I so imagine cool. people would go and talk to her but yeah Alas. (laughs) our next scene is kind of tacked on to this um Mm -hmm. she goes to kim's antiques and she must still have the key because she gets in and first she goes and looks into her old room and sees her replacement just sleeping in the bed sleeping peacefully (laughs) and then she goes in what is my gazebo moment for the episode and looks in on mrs Mm. kim who is also sleeping peacefully And, I mean, this is also kind of creepy to watch people sleep. (laughs) And I would be very freaked out. (laughs) I would be very freaked out. But then she goes and, like, kisses her mom on the forehead. Mm -hmm. And it's very sweet. And it's just, like, we've talked before about how Lane and Mrs. Kim, even though their relationship is contentious, they still have a lot of love for each other. And you can see it in scenes Mm -hmm. here and there. And I think this is a big one where, like... As we said earlier, Lane has made a huge change in her life. That was like, the it's a good choice for her, but it also led to the estrangement with her mom. And she's, it's just like, sometimes big changes also have consequences that take a long time to iron themselves yeah. out. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's just sad and touching. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Creepy. <laughs> I really, I think it's mostly sad yeah. and touching, but only just a little creepy. I like I don't think it can be overstated like what an 
a new chapter of life yeah. Lane is in, you know, like in some regards, it would have just been easy, you know, for her to keep going on in mm-hmm. that life. And I feel like that's part of what she identifies with this new replacement of like, look at her life. She gets her mom to put a scarf on her and gives her an apple. I'm now stuck acting like a mom mm-hmm. to these guys. Like I have to like figure out my role in life and like new connections and you know, all this stuff. Like she's lonely and it's hard, but also like amazing at the same time, you know? So I think you're so right that all of this is just going on and it's like heavy, but also exciting at the same time. Yeah. <sighs> and then finally, our final scene is a Jason and Lorelai scene at a coffee shop. And this is the return of the I have to do this mm-hmm. mentality. So it's kind of like a follow-up with my Friday night dinner critique. Um, though Jason is suing Richard and he's like going against him, he's kind of acting with the same sort of logic as Richard here in terms of like, well, I have to do what's right for me and my career. Otherwise, I'll be destroyed. So I have to sue Richard. I have to sue your dad. And Lorelai, I think, to be fair, as surprised as she was when she learned Richard betrayed Jason, she's equally surprised now <laughs> when she's like, you're suing my dad? And it kind of boils down to her saying, like, you don't have to do this. And him saying, I have to. And um, I don't know. Lorelai takes a very firm stand here that is, I'm not, we can discuss if it's, like, surprising or not mm-hmm. or, like, something we would expect her to do. But she says... I cannot be with someone who is suing my family. And like, she's very firm about this. And they don't like break up right now. Like Jason leaves. And so you can think like maybe he'll change his mind and they'll stay together. But it's kind of, it gives the impression that like if he goes forward with this course and he seems quite determined that this is the Mm -hmm. end of Jason and Lorelai and it, it just it all feels so sudden yeah. <laughs> and to me and it kind of is like is this now Lorelai taking her family side you know like earlier I think some people might think like oh she shouldn't take Jason's side now here she is taking kind of it seems like Richard's side although part of me wonders if it's more so like the last mm-hmm. straw of like her being tired with people acting like this like I'm tired of Richard I'm tired of you like I can't be with someone who's going to act and behave like this like I don't know I think her family is part of it but I think part of it is also her saying like if you're the kind of person who is going to do this like we can't be together yeah yeah that would be a a perfect example of an Oedipal complex if she continued on with Jason because he's acting exactly like Richard (laughs) she's like I do yeah, not want to marry like, my dad. Father, kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had a listener response about that I think pertains to this uh, scene. This listener said, it took growth for Lorelai to be loyal to Richard in this mess. Season one, her wouldn't, in my opinion. And I think that's a really good point. Like, season one, Lorelai was just starting to get back into into a relationship with Richard and Emily. And I think you do have a point that it's not necessarily that uh, Lorelai is choosing Richard's choices in this instance, but that (laughs) she's, like, realizing that maybe 
like Emily, there's something that she is not willing to sacrifice in her relationship with her parents um, that would be sacrificed in this instance. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a hard, hard dilemma still. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, I think you're right that uh, it was the last straw for her and that she's more like saying that she won't be part of this type of family, this type of like relationship business relationship investment kind of thing yeah more than that she's saying what Richard's doing is right Mm -hmm. yeah just it would be such a hard spot to be in though Mm -hmm. as people said earlier she and Jason have only been together for a short amount of time I would be a little bit surprised if she went wholeheartedly on Jason's side throughout this whole thing (laughs) And, like, that whole time they weren't even public, you know? Yeah, that's true. They probably missed a lot of milestones and development of a relationship because it was so private. Maybe. Or maybe you could also argue the flip side, like, because it was just them and they focused on each other so much, like, maybe it developed quickly. But I don't know. And I feel like there was always just the shadow over their relationship of, like, the writers finally ready to lean yeah. into the Luke and Lorelai thing here True. at the end. So like almost assumed. I think they write this conflict in a way that is pretty believable mm-hmm. as like a, a breakup for them. But there is just a part of me that's like, well, yeah, they have Lorelai break up with him because that's what they need right now. Yeah. Also, like it is also convenient. <laughs> yeah, I did like her like her line of. I just can't be with somebody who's suing my family and then just leaving. Mm-hmm. I thought that was like a strong way to end it. I also yeah, had a yeah. trivial question. Some gravitas. <laughs> yeah. I have a trivial question. Is this the same cafe where she met Max Medina for coffees in season one? It looked yeah. like it. It's like whenever they go to like a third party location. Yeah, it's the same one. <laughs> like they really look the same because yeah. it also reminded me of where she would meet um Alex, you know, oh, yeah, that's Burke, true. right? For coffee as yeah. well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just like a nondescript coffee yeah, with a bar area. They all look yeah. the same. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Um, yeah, this episode was, I don't know. It's like sometimes we have very extreme, like very clear ideas of who's right and who's wrong in the situations. And I don't mm-hmm. necessarily feel that I do in this one, except that the whole idea of just suing each other into oblivion in retribution <laughs> is just stupid. <laughs> yeah, I would like to avoid yeah. that if possible. I think Lorelai does make the right call in mm-hmm. that sense of like, can we yeah. not? <laughs> <laughs> Who was your MVP for this episode? My MVP was Lane. I think we've talked a lot about it, um, so I don't think there's too much more to say, but... Um, yeah, she's just, you know, going through a lot, but also doing a lot and um, rocking the drums. Mm-hmm. Like, I have a really clear picture of her in that scene. Like, she's just smiling so much. She's got a great hairdo and outfit. Like, she's just, like, such a cool girl drummer. I mean, just cool drummer. <laughs> like, um, uh, yeah, it's just a really good episode mm-hmm. for her, I thought. Um, how about you? Um, I think my MVP is Emily. I like we've been saying for many episodes now that it's really frustrating how Richard like how she and Richard's how their conflict is just like 
unsaid <laughs> so much. Yeah. And here she mm-hmm. makes a clear decision. Like she is valuing her relationship with Lorelai and Rory above Richard's potential business failure. And Richard is valuing his business failure above everything else. And that's like a last straw. And she does the the one thing that she really can do in this situation, which is just leave and call it quits until mm-hmm. he comes around and realizes his mistake. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, I am happy for her. Also, on a good note for you, it is the beginning of the trajectory <laughs> for the vow renewals episode where Rory and uh, Logan finally get together. So <laughs> that is good for me. Bad for them, yeah. but good for me. <laughs> I do like the outfits in that episode, but we'll get there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's a good episode in general. Yeah. Like, anytime there's, like, a big event, there's the potential for a drama. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, there's Christopher, Oh, too. yeah. I forgot about him. <laughs> yeah. How, have we seen Christopher this season? I don't think so, actually. No wonder it's such a good season. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> All right. On that note, we will continue to see where all of this goes yeah. <laughs> next week. We're in the final yeah, moments. Exciting. Well, yes. talk all right. Soon. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. Don't forget to rate and review us and share us with your friends. Join us on Instagram and TikTok at Talking Fast Podcast. And join the conversation by emailing us your thoughts, talkingfastpodcast at gmail.com.